Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Dr. Dennis Ribello, a speaker, professor, and career coach who recently authored the book, Story Like You Mean It. His passion is utilizing storytelling to help individuals like you and like me, as you'll hear in this episode, craft the narrative of who we are and what uniquely drives us. Dr. Ribello's research-based method for creating this narrative is called the Peak Storytelling Method, and it has been utilized by countless entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, CEOs, and athletes. A former president of Alexandria University and co-founder of the Sports Mind Institute, he recently received the 2020 Thomas J. Carroll Award for Teaching Excellence at Roger Williams University. In today's conversation, we discuss his peak storytelling method and the importance of our personal stories in our professional lives to make meaning of our past and connect with people in our professional spheres more deeply and authentically, relationships that can make all the difference in our careers and lives going forward. We reflect on how both our pathways have been shaped by story, and of course, the place we both call home, the small but special state of Rhode Island. Dennis, Dr. D, welcome to the show. So happy to have you here. Great to be with you, Willa. Yes. So we both live in Rhode Island, and it's a pretty small place, so it's kind of a matter of time before we cross paths around our shared interest in storytelling, which happened a few years ago. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we both have a love of story. You you do it a little differently than I do, uh, but we do it, and, and we do it in the spirit of supporting human beings and their work. And so I think that's where the sort of the fusion of what we do uh, sort of gets woven together. So it's great to be with you in this new forum for you. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. Exploring a new format for storytelling. That's right. <laughs> so you've just come out with a new book, which is really exciting. Congratulations. It's called Story Like You Mean It. Yeah. And it really brings together so much of the process that you've honed through. Oh, perfect. There we have a visual. <laughs> and we're on video, so it's perfect. So, um, you know, it really brings together so many of your different pathways, your academic research, your executive coaching practice, and of course, your teaching, your professorship. Mm -hmm. um, can you give our listeners a little preview of what story like you mean it is all about now that they've seen the cover too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, maybe behind me as well and some books. Yeah. So story like you mean it really uh, stemmed from me being in probably three different worlds, as you pointed out, Willa, right? The first world being, you know, I researching and, and by the way, why would I ever research this, right? Like, why is it so it's beyond an elevator pitch. We're always asked to explain who are we anyway, right? And uh, that's a, an age old question. It was researched a lot in the 70s by a guy named Stryker. And from there, there are a lot of different turns it took. So I was fascinated because in my own life, I saw actually, I saw myself and I saw other people, right? Because the best research is me search. I saw myself going from a BMX rider kid, like really 
engaged, you know, like sort of in the pre-X Games era of BMX riding in the 80s to really falling in love with physics. And when I was in high school, turning away from sport a little bit and then turning into something more complicated than physics, believe it or not, which is people at work uh, telling stories. And I was fascinated with how people were really not doing a good job, right? And it's not really their fault because they're modeled by bad interviewing techniques, boilerplate, sort of near train wreck language, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I've been a CFP for 18 years. I went to Cornell. And they're almost putting themselves to sleep. When if, and I encourage your listen, listeners to think about it this way. When you're out there in the world after this podcast, listen to someone tell a self-story. And so the self-story is really the focus of story like you mean it. Why is it that people struggle when they have to relay a bit of an animated version of themselves to show value and worth? So whether it's a teacher at a conference or maybe a business person or non-business person turned business person, work role transition, trying to get into school, right? Uh, whether a person's 16 or 60, uh, it's amazing. And whether or not they have pro proven expertise in a field, there's still this sort of stammering that went on. So I was fascinated by it. My executive coaching practice is informed by it because in working with high-performing executives, whether they're in the pharma, in this pharma industry or whether they're in uh, fintech or banking or uh, the creative uh, world, uh, agency world, you still have to portableize your narrative, right? And so... And then if you're leading, you're influencing culture within your agency or your workplace or your school, and you're also modeling behavior for those watching you because you have a higher visibility quotient. So I became fascinated and I said, well, we have to create a structure or a guide or an apparatus to help individuals be able to do the self-reflection, but also in a way that's informed by research, not just sort of, hey, you know, sit around and think about what might matter here's a methodology that could be multicultural and multi-generational in its application. And I started pressing it into school and creating digital tools. My wife, Shannon, is an instructional designer, made it really helpful because the first iterations of the book were done through digital tools and platforms. And then I said, well, you know, this is great. I took actually my peak storytelling model stems back to my academic research and I kept, uh, I put it away for a while. I wouldn't use it. And then I started using it and then boom, it was like fireworks. People were, were getting it. And then I said, okay, let's iterate off of it and make it uh, the, the core model for introducing narrative identity work, which is really answering the question, tell me about yourself. Well, so many threads to dig in, which we'll dig in <laughs> as we go through this conversation. That was a perfect jumping off point. But, you know, I notice you have a, a superhero on the cover of your book. So do you see storytelling as a superpower? I think it's, a, it's well, I know it's something that can be taught, right? As human beings, you're automatically wired to story as a young child who has no formal executive education in storytelling or coaching or um any sort of help, you, you, you hear all kinds of students all over uh, who are students of the world, right? Three years old, four-year-old children tell stories about whatever they see during the day to their grandparents or their parents. So we know how to storytell, but it's a bit like a, mu a muscle is the way I would refer to it, where, you know, if it's latent for a while, if you stop working out, your knees start to feel old and, you know, you, you can't work out as rigorously. Well, it's the same with storytelling, right? Um, we're wired to do it. And then we're, we're squelched a bit by the organizational structures around us that divorce us from our self-expression 
and our meaning making. Now, fortunately, the flip is in. Everyone wants meaning making and, and wants to have value in the world. And so it's the right time. COVID hit and everyone had this big pause of thinking and walking in nature. People who have never hiked before are hiking like crazy, right? And uh, people are selling their cars, you know, and it's unbelievable. So there is this notion that self-authorship and agency is possible, but you have to have evidence of, of your life to inform you who you are. And so in the book, we talk about these blue dots that emerge in our lives. And these are formative experiences, really deeply impressionable moments that the book actually helps you unpack. And so the hero is um, there because at the base, we've all had struggles at the base of the model, which is a triangle. We've all, I position hero stories, whether we had to overcome not being an English language learner uh, or a speaker, and we had to become an English language learner, right? Because we weren't a speaker naturally. Um, that would be, that might be heroic, whether we had to go through being adaptable because our parent were um, suffering from some sort of situation, whatever it would be, like a loss of job, loss of loved one. We've all uh, experienced some moment standing up for, for uh, someone who couldn't stand up for themselves, right? Uh, so anchored in, in our lives are these moments that aren't saving someone else. It's actually saving ourselves. It's self-preservation. And from those uh, reflections, you can find an awareness of certain competencies like adaptability, creativity, communication, whatever it might be. And when you start to go back in time, you start to become more conscious of the details of that lived experience. And the book takes you through this kind of cool way to story stamp. And I know you checked the book out, so you know what I'm talking about, right? And, the, and you start to unpack like a moment. Yeah, yeah. And you start to find your motivation, your mental muscles, not just your storytelling muscle, but your mental muscle, um, which is really just another word for competency. And then, you know, the, the power of place and people in your life during that moment. And then you start to become more alive just in your own life because you're really discovering what matters to you, which is the essence of meaning making after all. Yeah. So kind of take us through kind of this, this peak storytelling process a little bit mm -hmm. and just, you know, what's the, what's the value? What's the importance? I feel like, I feel like story and storytelling have kind of become such buzzwords. You know, everyone's talking about it, whether it's advertising agencies or, you know, it's just it's just a word that's everywhere these days. Um, so, you know, if you could kind of unpack that for us a little bit, you know, what sure. what it means and kind of why we should all be taking it seriously in our lives, you know, our personal and our professional lives. Absolutely. So so story, you're absolutely correct, right? That there's this overuse of story, just like there was this overuse of the word culture and leadership, right? And um, the phrase leaning in, which meant a lot and still does, but it starts to fade in value. So what we're talking about here is storytelling, but really narrative. So narrative is different than story, even though I use them synonymously, because narrative is your story over time, okay? So it's, it's past, now, future, and that's an arc that holds it together. It's usually a theme. So if you're watching, uh, you know, your favorite Netflix show or Amazon, it's a genre. But we don't really know our own genre because we're so busy living in the world, right? We have this really rapid cadence of living and we're hyper-connected digitally and there are a lot of digital digressions. So storytelling is overused as a word, but personalized storytelling that has work role relevancy is not. And that's what the peak storytelling methodology is. So really what the book does is it takes you through, and I'm going to do this little visual here, it takes you through this model here, which I'm giving you a sneak peek of the book. 
which shows you the dots of life in the different lanes and roles that you have as a human being. And it, you can see at the base, there are, there are three levels. At the base is the hero, because again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you, you show up in the world alone, <laughs> you know, and you have to start getting, getting on with it. But then you live with others in the world, whether it's a classroom as a, a young uh, student or at work, and it, you're in these collaborative moments. So collaborative moments are when you're not just, it's not just ambient belonging. It's when you are in relationship with another or others to create something, school project, team, schedule, vacation, um, a new club at school, perhaps, right? A plan to relocate with your family. And then the very top of the diagram is this uh, virtuous, these virtuous moments. Now, of course, the top of the, the pyramid has less volume or space. So over time, you know, you're constantly, you know, gritting it out and being an obstacle obliterator, figuring out how to learn another language, doing whatever, adapting to a new environment, eventually to belong with others at work or at school. And then the presumption is that you will be aware and you'll find something that you really love. And that, you know, for instance, for you, it's um, really storytelling visually, you know, an audio from an audio perspective and all the aesthetic elements that contribute to it. You know, and you probably remember, remember well, uh, when that happened, right? Like it was like, whoa, it would be immoral for me not to be creative in this space and to have ultimate autonomy, not be tethered to any one organization, but really to be self-endorsed, right? And, and to be masterful at it as you are. And also, so not just competence, but reaching for mastery and also to do it in relationship to others. So not maybe not in a traditional organization, but for all the schools that you've served and helping them with their stories. So, and, and people too, not just the schools, but the people within the schools and the, our stakeholders. So the model is that when you have all of these dots, you start to find them. And in the book, you find nine, you unpack them in a particular way, and then you can start to connect three, one from each level. And when you spiral up and you show that, that connectivity to those three dots, you start to convey sense making. And it, it's really remarkable because whether someone is, uh, you know, I have a student, her name is Hannah Ong, who I mentioned in the book. And, you know, Hannah was a female wrestler from, you know, Rhode Island who uh, told her story, the Rhode Island Foundation. She's from, she is from Cambodia. So she had to learn English. And when she's told her story, she received a, a scholarship, which was really fascinating, wonderful. She told me at the end of class, but she felt so different when she told her story. She sounded so differently, like she presented with such calmness. Her voice changed, the depth of it, the texture, her pace. She wasn't uh, yeah, running out of words. She was, you know, your breath gets impacted. So there's this settledness. And, uh, and, and it's really remarkable to watch. And, and by the way, Hannah has visited several countries over the last couple of years. I forget how many months. And she's at Northeastern today. And her scholarship was 20000 per year, so it was 80000 unrestricted, which gave her quite a bit of autonomy to go live her life, to learn about uh, other cultures. So, so what happens is, you know, you get pretty charged up about your own life, you realize that you're the author of it, and you start to manufacture the next dot to support where you want to be. Yeah, I think that's a great point, just like how this process of kind of reflection and connecting the dots, you know, in a more mm -hmm. kind of mindful and strategic way can also make you more conscious of the present and, you know, as you're unfolding the next stages of your story going forward. Yeah, that's well said. <laughs>
<laughs> so, you know, and I, another point that you bring up in the book is, you know, you, you delve deeply into these dots, you know, these, these blue dots of, of our lives. And, you know, what I, what I appreciate about it is it's not that you're kind of coming up with a static elevator pitch, but you're not kind of coming up with this fixed narrative, but it's something that can be fluidly adjusted based on, you know, your environment, your audience. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of the importance of, you know, honing your story based on like using it as a vehicle for how you, how you need, how you need it in your life? Yeah. So, so the idea is that when you fashion this story, you're going to feed it into different environments. That's context, right? So the way I might tell a story in one environment might reflect my work as a um, well, as you know, in the steel business, because my dad ran a steel company. And so I might take that blue dot. Remember, I have nine. I have three of my favorites, but I can reorder. And there's a storytelling worksheet in there, too, to help folks with that process. And I want to know why I'm telling that particular dot. Right. And like a good lawyer, uh, you should have your dots act as, uh, you know, case law. Right. It's like it gives you example as if you were speaking to a judge in your favorite Law and Order episode and you were the character who is the advocate. Right. The lawyer, you would have that information present and it would help you uh, be substantiated by the judge. The judge would say, well, that's pretty good. You know, you're making sense. I think this is how I'm going to rule on the motion. Well, the motion here is, do you have value or worth? And if you're saying that in an environment where you're interviewing, let's say um, those dots will might you might compress the first dot, the hero dot, because you're realizing through some of the questions that we ask you to consider before you tell your story, that the audience analysis, it leads you to a place where you don't really have to overstate your hero, but you want to, you have to, but you can't not do it because you can't roll into an environment and say, well, I just love to collaborate and be with others because that's vanilla. So the richness of your life has to emerge in the story. So when you when you tell that story of collaborating under pressure and the competency of creativity and organization that emerged that you didn't realize uh, was a big part of your life and your natural wiring or what you learned through the hero phase, then you start to really make the case for yourself, again, like a good lawyer. Now, you're not doing this with a lawyering edge, right? But you're doing it with a humanistic vibe. Uh, and it's real because it's your life. So the storytelling becomes way more effective when it's your own lived experiences. But you have to do the work in the book. You have to do the work at the end of the chapters. You know, uh, if I, and I've done this before with uh, interviews, sometimes I'll ask the uh, podcast uh, host or someone who's a guest uh, with me, you know, tell me your story. And, you know, if, you know, one person said to me, well, you know, I, I was afraid you were going to lead with that. I prepared um, and I listened to him. He was really good. And I redid his story for him. And, you know, he's an angel investor, a CEO kind of guy. Um, you know, very successful. And he said, wow, this is great. I'm going to listen to this several times. So I love being put on the spot to show the method. I'm not asking you to do that, but if you wanted to, I could. And, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity to show how, how the system works because sometimes people need to see it work, but uh, ultimately it's not about me. It's about the person reading the book. Right. Uh, so there you go. That's my answer. <laughs> Well, I'm game to jump in if you want to. I, I haven't done the full extent of my homework, but you know, okay. I, I do tend to reflect on you know things in life. So uh. <laughs> yeah. So so if you, so I guess we could play this game a little bit then if you're game because it would be kind of fun too for listeners I would imagine and probably meaningful for both you you and me. So what, if you were to roll in, what's your baseline? Tell me about yourself. Like, hey, so like, what do you do anyway? 
So if somebody asks you that question, let's just go live. What do you do? So you see how you rolled your eyes up? That's what most people yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. And it's I'm always gonna, the yeah. hardest question, right? I'm a I'm a storyteller, yeah, yeah. but it's the hardest question to, you know, have the <laughs> have the mic turned around on me, which is why, frankly, I'm enjoying this opportunity, you know, to to do the podcast. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of flipped the script a little bit. But um so, you know, uh yeah, I I I a storyteller and I, you know, I'm passionate about using the craft of story to, you know, help make the world a better place through, uh, yeah, I'm terrible at it, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and you know, what's interesting is that like, you know, I'm going, I'm waiting for like a dot to drop, you know, like in your, from your life and it's, it is hard and we get, we've been programmed to, to really be not so good at it, right? Because we're supposed to just say what we want to be seen as, not what, not is what, not what is evidence of. So I'll ask you some questions and then we'll use the method. But the way I'm going to do it is I'm just going to ask you some questions. I'm going to do some quick note taking and then I'll spin your story on you. And I guess I'll be you. That's probably the best way to do it. Okay, so I'll take the good. heat off of you and I'll put the heat on me. That'll be fun. So tell me, um, when you were zero to 13 ish years of age, maybe zero to 20, um, do you have any experiences? Don't worry about it if they're media or not media based, right? Uh, that were important to you, that were valuable to you, that where you, you, they could be in fact hero experiences where you overcame an obstacle, right? Sure. So well, do you have I any? can tell you kind of the genesis of where my kind of interest in storytelling and journalism started. Um, if it's supposed to be a hero's story, I did break my back around 20 years old snowboarding, and I overcame that. <laughs> but wow. around the same time, I also uh, was writing my thesis in college, and um, I was an Italian major and environmental studies minor. And decided to write about Tuscan olive oil production. And I had the opportunity to travel to Italy and visit a number of farms. I had reached out to a number of Tuscan olive farmers and just, you know, figured if I reached out to a bunch, maybe I'd hear back from a few, which happened. And um, they welcomed me into their homes and farms. And I had the opportunity to interview them about what they did and how they made olive oil and the history of it and the future of it. And as I was back in the library uh, the next fall writing, putting putting it all together, um, I reflected that I really loved the process and of integrating kind of more formal research with these real life conversations um, and in the field research. And I reflected that that process was journalism and narrative storytelling. And that's kind of where it all started. Okay, so now we're getting to real lived experiences. So take me back to the broken back. Was that in college or it was? Okay. Yeah, I was studying abroad in Italy and uh, came home for Christmas and that's when it happened. So that was my that was my junior year of college. So I took a semester off after that. Okay. I'm going to disappear for five seconds to grab a water. Stand by. Sounds good. <laughs> Okay, we're good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you didn't know you were going to have to work today. so. Yeah, this is great, though. I, I love being put on the spot, so uh, quite a bit of fun. Tell me about before the broken back when you uh, maybe you, you were in your teens, uh, something that may have happened 
that allowed you to, um, and it, it doesn't need to be a giant physical injury. It could be just something that you had to overcome. Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, I think. Don't worry about, don't, don't worry, don't worry about, I, I don't mean to step on you, but don't worry about, does this contribute to sure. this narrative just in general? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think for me, my biggest kind of obstacle, like growing up was that I always wanted to be elsewhere. You know, I kind of had this, this kind of <laughs> calling. I grew up in um, Southern Rhode Island by the water, lovely place, but I just always felt this pull like to the mountains, to the north. And I, you know, wondered why my parents lived where they did. And um, so I just was always kind of seeking ways to go away to summer camp or travel or just explore further. So I think it was just kind of a challenge of not feeling fully in the right place and, and kind of wanting to seek elsewhere. Do, do you remember the first time you acted on that? Yes, I, um, you know, I was lucky because I did get to go to a summer camp in the Adirondacks. Um, it was mostly a bunch of boys. It was a camp, my father had been a camp counselor at a very small camp and it was just very intense hiking. Um, so I went there for three summers when I was like 12, 13 and 14. And it was just a real place for me to kind of develop my own strength and, and just another perspective, you know, from the kind of insular junior high and high school perspective. What, what were the, the, um, was it exploration? Like, was it the way you explored and, and in the world without boundaries or like, what was the, what was it about the Adirondacks experience that was compelling? Um, I think I just, um, I think something in myself knew that I would develop into a better version of myself and kind of who I was meant to be if I had these experiences away from the status quo of my, you know, kind of home growing up life. Um, and I really, I think I knew that in the moment. And I think I definitely know that looking backward. All right. So I'm going to give it a shot. And there are more things to come. And I know some of your life a little bit from our relationship, our conversations outside of this podcast. I'm going to use some of this right now. I, I, if I went on longer, I don't want to be too, you know, too much of a deep <laughs> well, dive. I have but, two more questions for you, so we won't dwell on this too long. But uh, yeah, I yeah, but, but I'm going to go. So um, you're you're going to be John, and I'm going to I'm going to be Willa, and you're going to say, Hey, tell me about yourself. You know, why did you get involved in this? storytelling thing or, you know, what do you do for a living? Whatever it is. Okay, go ahead. All right. All right. So, hi, I'm John. Um, so, Willa, tell me why you got involved in this, you know, storytelling thing. Well, uh, it's a great question. Uh, <laughs> um, my storytelling, probably my first formal storytelling escapade was in Italy. Uh, had to do a little bit with olive oil, but but I think my training went back to when I was 13, 14, actually 12, 13, and 14. Um, I was uh, able to go to the Adirondacks. You see, I lived in this really wonderful place in southern Rhode Island, southern New England, but it didn't really do it for me. I had a little bit of a, an explorer inside, a pioneer explorer, like a seeker, a little bit of a wanderer. And then I had the this desire, motivation to understand the world beyond the boundaries where I was situated. And it, and it kept floating in and out of my head. And 
Finally, I, I hooked my dad into sending me to nearly an all boys camp for uh, ended up being three summers. And during that time, it was some pretty extensive hiking. So it was like literally exploring. And I felt a, a liberation and an understanding of the world. It allowed me to zoom away from the, what was in front of me and zoom, you know, all over the world, listen to people and be an observational sort of catcher of stories. Although I didn't know it was a formal training at all. I don't think it was to this day, but it a bit lit the fuse for me. So when I broke my back and I had to kind of rethink some things in my life, I ended up on this project that landed me in, in Italy, as I mentioned, and the olive oil project allowed me to have almost like a mixed methods, um, multi-perspectivistic way of taking academic research combined with just real grounded conversation, which leads me into the, where I am today and my recent uh, film that was uh, released, which is all a part of uh, you know Firestarter Interactive. And the word interactive really is what I was doing when I was 12, 13, and 14 with less confidence, more confidence when I was in Italy, and lots of confidence as I helped development offices and colleges and universities all around the United States get better at their storytelling. So I love complex issues, but I know that they also require me being both an observational learner, like an alien landing in their world, but also being able to decode and add structure and organization so the creative storytelling can finally emerge. So, you know, that's what I do. And I'm really excited to be here, John. Is this your first conference? Wow. Thank you, Willa. <laughs> You're really good at this. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. You put a little pressure on me. or I, I actually baited myself on that one, I think, Willa. You know, it's a, you know, a little wild of me to do. But... And the irony is that you uh, now live in my hometown, which actually, you know, <laughs> from where I sit right now is actually a pretty beautiful place with a lot of beautiful beaches and, you know, not a bad place to live and grow not up. Not so bad. But... <laughs> not so bad at all. And uh, so what was it like to hear your story from my perspective? That's often kind of a different take. Well, I think, you know, I think when someone asks, you know, like, what's your story? I think we can often feel this pressure. I know I feel this, you know, sometimes when I'm on panel discussions or in other, you know, forms of conversation, like to get to the, to the end, to to like not take too much time with it. And so I think it's kind of like this developing this like confidence to not be roundabout, but to, to take the time to connect the threads. Um, and I think, like you said, it's a muscle that, you know, can be honed over time. So it was interesting to kind of yeah. hear, it I know I would kind of tend to kind of jump to the, like the present day and just like try to kind of give the, mm -hmm. you know, the more dry answer that, you know, is more expected, yeah. but obviously the kind of answer that you gave is much more interesting and nuanced and gives a lot more context. Yeah. And, and what I really loved uh, was being you <laughs> because you're pretty fascinating. And, you know, as I'm unpacking like these little mini moments, right, because, uh, you know, they're, I'm making some presumptions, but they are, they seem to be very significant, right? And uh, in your life, you know, going away and, and it really being that explorer. And that helps me understand you. And the confidence, right, comes from the Latin word confidere, which means filled with trust. So, uh, uh, you know, it's important for us to realize that uh, trust in one's story comes from uh, knowing those dots and feeling as though that they have informed you because you're a learner and a leader in your own life, no matter how old you are. And so if, if, if you study the dots, 
of your life and, and not just as a trite expression, but using that story stamp tool in the book, you can really start to, and that's all I did, by the way, I took some dots, I story stamped them on the fly, but I am using a framework all day to support different people from different places and spaces. So I, I'm used to it as a, an apparatus for rapidly organizing, synthesizing, and rolling out first, first and then multiple iterations of story. And then we try them on together, right? You know, and readers of the book will try the stories on for themselves. Um, but you have to do the work and you have to then iterate a little bit. And to your question earlier, bending the story is a dialogical thing because storytelling is dialogical. So it involves a listener. If the listener can't participate because it's a 5,000 person keynote, you can still look at body language and, you know, smiles and smirks in the first seven rows. If you're one-on-one, -on -one, it allows you to create space and, hey, have you ever gone away to the Adirondacks? I could say that in a slower iteration and you would say, no, I've never been, but I go to the Berkshires a lot. Oh, cool. Well, they're similar. They're like cousins in different states. And, you know, a person laughs. That means they're receptive. They become adaptable. And, and now they're creating, they're co-creating a narrative with you, right? It's sort of like the plasma in between us that has my elements and my intentional narrative, but you're participating. So two jazz musicians playing some really cool music, vibing together. And that's what makes the experience more of an encounter than just a, a classic exchange of data points. Yeah. And I think I'm, you know, just to put it into other words, I think, I think story and sharing more about ourselves helps make it a more authentic connection, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And in psychology, it's called the Johari window, often where you open up and you kind of let pieces fly back and forth. It creates comfort. It also promotes in the formal research I've done, it's about relational empathy. You know, I, if I don't have receptivity, uh, in listening to your story, uh, there's a, no chance for dialogue. I, I won't be relationally empathetic to you. But if we do some to and fro together, the likelihood of that will increase as well as uh, consciousness of the culture and context of your world. So really context is just, you know, what's going on in your space that might be different than mine. You know, we kind of use that word in, in you know, academic work or in executive coaching, but and in storytelling, but the context to know it and to have some contextual intelligence is just to take pause and understand that your story, as you feed it in, some pieces will click and some pieces will be, you know, you flatten and you make less uh, strong. And that allows it to be consumed by the listener. So, yeah. And it's important because whether you're in business development or whether you're a leader fashioning a culture, you know, in a particular way, you have the ability to story. And, uh, and, and the reason why people stammer so much in my research is that you have all of these moments and you're trying to think, what do I tell the person? And it's that cognitive overload. And then you pause and you blurt something out. And it's like, well, it's kind of what I, I meant to say. And then as you're hearing it, as the speaker, you're like, oh, you're from South King and I grew up there. And well, and you like story and I like story. And it's like, it, it just, oh, it falls flat. And we've seen it modeled for decades, right? In movies and media by our parents, cousins, aunts, uncles, and predecessors in enterprise. And those people are always humdrum. And so in, there's a whiteboard video that, uh, that they produced for the book. And, uh, it's got like a no smoking sign and it says, uh, no humdrum, right? No humdrum stories here. So we don't want people to be humdrum. Every human being is unique. They have their own pathway. And once you start going on the journey here, you're going to have an outcome that is, is real that you can use in two minute, three minute, four minute, 18 minute, 20 minute versions, which makes it really cool. 
Definitely. So uh, let's, before we take a short break, let's just flip the script a little bit. And, you know, where did, where did your interest in storytelling come from? I think it, it came from, I, I've always been fascinated with, with people's lives. I used to ride my bike to my, I had both sets of great grandparents growing up within biking distance from me where I grew up. And I could visit them and I would visit them. And, uh, you know, I was sort of a inquisitive kind of kid. I would just ask them questions like, hey, you, so you grew up and you came over from Portugal. You know, tell me about that. Was it a ship? Was it how big was the ship? You know, I just pepper my family with questions. And I felt like I was kind of note taking. Right. And but I, I was doing it to always understand the other. Like, what was their life about? You know, how do they look at the world? And so I guess I was just curious you know, and, uh, and then I think old, later on in life, I watched people really fail at storytelling, become frustrated at work. And it's because they would work at this job versus that job or create a job. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, you have agency, like, why, why are you doing this? And so uh, I would help people early on uh, in how to navigate business development or, you know, speeches to their internal groups. And that was fun. And then I started helping people with uh, really doing some narrative accounting when they were making major work world changes. And then I started leading uh, corporate education initiatives inside companies and working with the top folks in companies so that they could lead well by leading from story and personalizing them so that they could uh, model what it was and is to live a more integrated existence where your lanes of life cross over, right? It does you know, family and friends can inform you on skills that you have that can be referenced in a work relevant way. So why not be fully integrated, right? As opposed to living in lanes. So I think that's important to note too. Definitely. Well, so much more to dig into, but let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Sure. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every thousand. It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up. And collectively, we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. All right, and we're back. So, you know, you were beginning to talk about this. I know you've worked with a lot of real impact-driven, high-level leaders. You know, what's it, this seems like a really kind of critical skill to hone in our, you know, lives and, and work if we want to achieve big impact and be able to communicate that clearly and kind of get other people on our team to, to be able to accomplish that. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is a critical skill. And I, I've, you know, I've had the privilege of working in varying capacities with folks at different organizations, whether it's, uh, you know, Joe DeSena, the CEO of uh, Spartan, the largest obstacle course racing company in the world. Who, he, by the way, he has a great narrative working on Wall Street, you know, and then starting this company that emerged from his interest and making sure that he was feeling okay after all the intense stuff that happens 
running a Wall Street firm. So his his deal was, you know, I'll go do eco challenges, you know, run 350 miles, bike, sweat, you know, the whole deal. And that extreme activity led him to eventually start Spartan Racing. I've, I've been able to help um, through education in the work that he and I had done, uh, share how the elements of his story could help other people kind of structure and think about their own lives. Um, through the work at the Cleveland Clinic, I was doing some leadership evaluation work with a person named Kimberly Kleiman Lee and another colleague, Marilyn, and, you know, became a coach to, I think it was 11 of the top 33, or is it 13? 11. Uh, leaders, uh, you know, it's a pretty big organization. They have 66,000 caregivers and, you know, the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic are pretty strong uh, organizations when it comes to innovative health systems. And, you know, Margaret McKenzie, Dr. Margaret McKenzie, who's the president of the Cleveland Clinic uh, South Point Health System, uh, really just went wild over this narrative identity work uh, on the heel of our initial engagement. And what I really love about her interest in it is that she understands that physicians in their Physician Leadership um, Institute, PLI, could really gain an understanding of their own narrative and reclaim some of the motivations that, you know, drove them to get into medicine, but also they could awaken their storytelling muscle as they cross over audiences. And that's a public speaking class I teach at Roger Williams University is speaking across audiences. So your narrative can sit across audiences, back to your point earlier, you know, and my response around context, you can still, this narrative can be fed everywhere. So it's just, uh, it's really been wonderful to work with these leaders. Re recently, I've uh, been having a lot of conversations with Dr. Wanda Heading Grant, who is the chief uh, diversity officer. She's actually technically the vice provost of Carnegie Mellon University, a wonderful school. And she comes from UVM, where she was the chief diversity officer. I, I mean, I, I, I you know, it's just amazing the different applications. Uh, the lung cancer group that I worked with this Saturday was uh, rich with uh, lung cancer stage three and four. Um, you know, folks who are getting, you know, their patients, you know, they're getting treatment and they're, but the top ones are motivated to be advocates. So they're going to their cancer centers. They're, they're really working at using the peak storytelling methodology to change the way research is happening in the lung cancer community because, you know, Chris Draft, who's the uh, president and CEO of the Draft Family Foundation, he lost his wife in their first year of marriage to lung cancer and she never smoked. And so he was a, you know, a 12-year NFL vet. Um, and he, he asked Roger Goodell, he said, you know, you know, long story short, right? <laughs> he he was just like, I'm going to do something about this because Keisha needs to be honored and I I need to, to do something about this. And it was a very, he and I met at a story pathing uh, retreat that I did in DC. So what I'm, what I'm amazed at is at wherever you are, storytelling can be, whether it's, can be used, whether it's to re, get folks to rethink biomarkers in lung cancer, right? And early treatment detection or, or early, early detection and then early treatment uh, plans, or whether it's to, you know, do something like uh, get people to inspect their own stories in a diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative before you start telling them the way they should think. You know, I, I can't change the way I think if I'm a participant unless I know my own narrative. 
And I can't honor someone else's narrative unless they know their own and take stock of it. So I, it's been really just, I, I've been blown away over the last week. I mean, we, we hit a number one bestseller with this book in 10 different categories from journaling to creativity, self-help in the first like 72 hours out. And, you know, it, it's, I, I'm, I'm just blown away. I'm happy. I'm thrilled. But this is a marathonic type of thing, you know, to you know make up a word while I go, because we have to continue to look at the areas of college counseling, college success centers. We have to look at guidance counseling offices, and we have to look at HR offices and business development organizations so that we can really help them become much better at at educating people on how to tell their stories. So we're we're just starting to get the word out on an international level. And, you know, this is story is everything, right? The story is to be human. Definitely. Well, that's also great to hear. Congratulations. Much, de- much deserved. And I think part of the reason, you know, for the success and, you know, just the, the wide reception is just that it is story is so universal. I mean, there's no one who it doesn't apply to. Um, and I think, you know, I'm curious about how you relate to this idea of kind of connecting with your why and connecting with your purpose. I feel like connecting with your story is related to that, but I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, the, you know, Simon Sinek talks about your why and, and, you know, we use his video embedded in some of the classes as a reference point. So we like Simon, but when people take that concept and they just lay it on and they say, you know, well, what's your why, you know? It's a lot to handle, right? (laughs) It's like a lot to digest. So we have people uncover their motivations at past, current, and future possible moments because then you can see your why again over time. And that's the essence of narrative. And so if you shift, you know, if you shift your why just a little bit, it can really rechart your course and also ensure that you stay energized in doing the thing that you want to do with the competencies that you have as a teacher, a nurse, an artist, you know, a creative. And I think that's really critical. And it it is part of the process, right? One of the four ingredients of a lived experience is motivation. And you can have several, you know, what was your motivation in, you know, staying in school when you could have dropped out if you're Steve Jobs? Well, he didn't, he left. Why did he leave? Well, he left because he wanted to drop into things that interest him. So he became an explorer. And even though his, his parents, uh, his birth, his adopted parent said, you have to stay in school because it's a pledge that we made your, um, your, your mom when we adopted you. Well, you know, his motivation was to explore. So, you know, his why was exploration. And we see it in the garage later with Stephen W. when they created Apple and when he created Pixar. So when you can see his exploration and creative essence over time, you can have an appreciation for who he is and not just, oh, he's this oddity or outlier. It's really critical to to be able to look at it over time. You know, you can look at a slice of life and your motivation, you'll only get a limited perspective. But over time, that's where you you find the good stuff. Definitely. Well, I feel like there are so many, we could have about four conversations right now, but, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you a few kind of we can always do a part two, but mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a few kind of more rapid fire questions, you know, Let's um, roll. kind of dig into your own kind of motivations and story. Um, so, you know, what do you know to be true and important now at this stage in life that, you know, maybe you wish you'd known earlier in life or just would mm-hmm. have 
kind of cause you to think differently at another stage in life? Well, I don't know that I knew that I had agency as much as I did in my life. And I think that, you know, there was probably too much self-reliance in my own life, you know, just doing it on my own. And I think that can be very limiting. And I think part of that is, you know, the, the, the social narrative around be, if you're going to be successful at anything, you know, there's this self-reliance bit. And I don't think that's really true at all. <laughs> so you need other people, right? You know, I need other people to read a book or else I can write a, you know, a useful book, but uh, not if it doesn't help anybody, will it really be uh, any good to do other than maybe for myself. And that's pretty crazy. So because we're social creatures, right? And that doesn't make any sense. So I think that, you know, there needs to be an emphasis that you have to have, as I put it in the book, positive selfishness for being engaged in the world, but you need others too. So you, you have to have some sort of model or framework for thinking about the world. And I think we don't, I think a lot about thinking and I don't think that we, we actually penetrate infrastructures like schools with new material as boldly as we could. So as I think about this work today, I, I'm going to be pretty bold about it because we need to help people. In fact, all of the, the book sales go right into a nonprofit that I, that I founded because that will continue to fuel this good work, Narrative Research Group. Why? Because that, that's my why, is because we need tools for educators, we need tools for people in organizations, even if they're for-profit organizations, to get better at how to ensure that these dwelling places, these organizations where we live a lot of our time, are places where we feel good. So I, that's not really a rapid fire answer, but that's as rapid fire as it probably been because most of my answers are a little long winded today. Sorry. <laughs> All good. That's why we're here. <laughs> um, so, you know, speaking of tools, <laughs> you can probably hear my dog in the background. Love it. Um, you know, what, uh, what tools, what tips would you have for our listeners, you know, to get them started on their, you know, own kind of self storytelling, self authorship journeys? Yeah. So whether you get the book, which is like both book and guide, right? It's not just a traditional book. There are things that you start doing right up, you know, as Willow will test, testify to this uh, reality right out of the gate. I you really have, you didn't have. do my homework very well, or I would have had a better answer when you put me on the spot. <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I would say that, you know, imagine if you told your story. The first question I would be actually, here, here's what I would really do. I would say, take Take your phone out, wherever it is, and record yourself after listening to this. Tell your story and be real with yourself. The first thing you have to do is take a baseline, right? If you want to become, if you want more uh, plant-based foods in your diet, you have to kind of look at what's in your refrigerator. So the best way to do that in this case is simply to answer the question, tell me about myself. <laughs> and then I'm telling me about myself, right? Record yourself uh, listening to you do an introduction, whether it's at a workplace event or a social uh, in a social setting and just be honest with yourself don't try to be the book don't try to be willow or me in the exchange just be yourself and then listen to it a few times and, and think what did you miss does you know rate yourself one to five is it a five already are you that good are you a four or three and uh what stood out that it, you think might be helpful and what do you need to work on? And also, do you, there's this concept in the book that I call thin slice or miss slice. Do you, does whatever, is whatever you're saying or has said in the recording, does it actually help counterbalance the thing that you want to accomplish? So the first thing you have to do is measure yourself because you have to be a little bit analytical about this. It doesn't mean that you're not artistic or humanistic, but you have to take a measurement, you know. 
So the second bit I would do is to ask yourself this question, what is your intention? What is your intention in telling a story? Okay. If you don't know your intention, you know, getting that clear can be super helpful because then you can start to narrow down like uh, a particular, in particular, your why. Why are you telling your story? Is it to show value in a workplace setting, business development to other leaders? Are you assimilating in a new job? Uh, do you want to be valued for something that you haven't shared before? And then I would say the next bit would be get a resource. You know, um, look, I mean, if you don't have guidance in the gym, you will not do good to your body. For a little while, you might, but you can't just swing a kettlebell. You can't just do a squat. You can't do some of the, even a burpee without getting some guidance online. So why are you trying to build a story that you're telling to get business or to show value and worth without some assistance? It doesn't mean you need, you know, top tier executive coaching, but get some expertise and then work it. Work it and then record yourself if, if you are, uh, if you do buy the book or a resource or try to make something up on your own, whatever the case is, tell your story at the end and then look at the both stories. We do this at the university and it's remarkable. People are blown away at their, their growth. And that's all I ever care about. How, how much did you grow? How much better are you? How much more proud are you to be who you really are? And how much more energized, motivated are you as a, as a human being because of it? So that's how I would get started. Well, I think we all have our homework to do after we sign off. <laughs> um, are there any other reflections that you want to share with our listeners, you know, about storytelling, business, life, teaching? I, I, I think that this, this, this process of crafting your narrative is critical to your life. Um, you know, you don't have to do it. You can just not do it at all. But wouldn't it be kind of fun if you did do it, you know? I mean, it's about you, right? I always say the ultimate research is me search. And once you get clear on that, you can, you can feel a lot better, even if you're just sitting around with your dogs, which uh, hearing your dogs bark gives me a, a social cue to, to say, yep, that's what I'm going to be doing uh, afterwards. I'm going to be sitting with my three Australian shepherds in, in my front yard and just taking in some sun and uh, being glad I'm here on the planet right now. So, you know, whatever your reason is, uh, I... I think you, you become more excited and appreciative about life when you figure out your narrative. First and foremost, for you, it's an inside job. And then secondarily, for, for outside voicing. Um, so, you know, and I wish everybody well, right, in the process uh, as you discern it. And I, and I would say if you, uh, if you grab the book, if you engage in the process, uh, just also know that we've designed it so that you can even get a, a book club guide online. Uh, for free, because we want you to be able to share the journey with other people and have uh, this opportunity to have conversation, right? To reclaim uh, a bit of what it means to be human again. Um, one of my friends that uh, wrote a great poem, Touchscreen, I, I didn't tell him I was going to have him open the book. Uh, he didn't know he was going to open the book. His name is Marshall uh, Davis Jones. And, I, and uh, the case of storytelling is this. This is from his uh, poem. Uh, from the Garden of Eden to the branches of Macintosh, apple picking has always come at a great cost. iPad, iMac, iPhone, iChat. I can do all of these things without making eye contact. And I think, well, I think we can have better eye contact with people having done this. I think that we can appreciate technology, um, but also know when it's a digital digression 
And I think that we can increase our compassion in the world um, when we know our own stories and we have the excitement to voice it to others and then mentor them a little bit along the way. So that's what I have for an answer on that one, Willa. And I think that's a wrap for me. <laughs> well, it just, you know, sounds like the kind of way to live more deeply and connect more deeply. So why wouldn't we all want to kind of take the leap and, you know, see, yeah, see where it goes? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So where where can our listeners connect with you, find a story like you mean it, and and learn more? Yeah, so uh, Amazon is a great resource. Uh, they're our go-to source for so much, and they're very good at getting books out to people, uh, both you know in the Kindle or e version as well as uh, traditional hardcover and paperback. The website that is really like the author ecosystem is drdennisrebello.com, which is D-R-D-E-N-N-I-S, rebel, R-E-B-E-L-O, one L.com. So drdennisrebello.com. Again, you can jump into some free resources. We have four essentials to personalized storytelling there, as well as uh, the book club guide, which you can download right on the front page, the homepage. And again, for free, because we want to be in service to folks uh, at any age and stage of life. So, uh, and also uh, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find me there as well. Uh, and, uh, it's ask Dennis on Instagram and, um, I'm not a big Twitter person, although I have a, a, a nice little following. Uh, I don't do a lot of tweeting. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn of course as well. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Well, I encourage everyone to check out the book. I'm really enjoying it and, uh, have a little more homework to do, but there's always time. So, right. well, Dennis, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. And um, we look forward to sharing this conversation. Yeah, so am I. And as always, story like you mean it. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer. That's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R and at firestarterix. And I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, Let's stay busy making the world a better place.